0: Desire of Ages, Chapter 11, The Baptism Tidings of the Wilderness Prophet and his wonderful announcement spread throughout Galilee. The message reached the peasants in the remotest hill towns and the fisher folk by the sea, and in these simple, earnest hearts found its truest response. In Nazareth, it was told in the carpenter shop that had been Joseph's, and one recognized the call. His time had come. Turning from his daily toil, he bade farewell to his mother and followed in the steps of his countrymen, who were flocking to the Jordan. Jesus and John the Baptist were cousins and closely related by the circumstances of their birth, yet they had had no direct acquaintance with each other. The life of Jesus had been spent at Nazareth in Galilee, that of John in the wilderness of Judea. Amid widely different surroundings, they had lived in seclusion and had had no communication with each other. Providence had ordered this. No occasion was to be given for the charge that they had conspired together to support each other's claims. John was acquainted with the events that had marked the birth of Jesus. He had heard of the visit to Jerusalem in his boyhood and of what had passed in the schools of the rabbis. He knew of his sinless life and believed him to be the Messiah, but of this he had no positive assurance. The fact that Jesus had for so many years remained in obscurity, giving no special evidence of his mission, gave occasion for doubt as to whether he could be the promised one. The Baptist, however, waited in faith, believing that in God's own time all would be made plain. It had been revealed to him that the Messiah would seek baptism at his hands, and that a sign of his divine character should then be given. Thus he would be enabled to present him to the people. When Jesus came to be baptized, John recognized in him a purity of character that he had never before perceived in any man. The very atmosphere of his presence was holy and awe-inspiring. Among the multitudes that had gathered about him at the Jordan, John had heard dark tales of crime and had met souls bowed down with the burden of myriad sins, but never had he come in contact with a human being from whom there breathed an influence so divine. All this was in harmony with what had been revealed to John regarding the Messiah. Yet he shrank from granting the request of Jesus. How could he, a sinner, baptize the sinless one? And why should he who needed no repentance submit to a rite that was a confession of guilt to be washed away? As Jesus asked for baptism, John drew back exclaiming, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? With firm yet gentle authority, Jesus answered, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. And John yielding, led the Saviour down into the Jordan, and buried him beneath the water. And straightway, coming up out of the water, Jesus saw the heavens opened, and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. Jesus did not receive baptism as a confession of guilt on his own account. He identified himself with sinners, taking the steps that we are to take and doing the work that we must do. His life of suffering and patient endurance after his baptism was also an example to us. Upon coming up out of the water, Jesus bowed in prayer on the riverbank a new and important era was opening before him. He was now upon a wider stage, entering the conflict of his life. Though he was the Prince of Peace, his coming must be as the unsheathing of a sword. The kingdom he had come to establish was the opposite of that which the Jews desired. He who was the foundation of the ritual and economy of Israel would be looked upon as its enemy and destroyer. He who had proclaimed the law upon Sinai would be condemned as a transgressor. He who had come to break the power of Satan would be denounced as Beelzebub. No one upon the earth had understood him, and during his ministry he must still walk alone. Throughout his life, his mother and his brothers did not comprehend his mission. Even his disciples did not understand him. He had dwelt in eternal light as one with God, but his life on earth must be spent in solitude. As one with us, he must bear the burden of our guilt and woe. The sinless one must feel the shame of sin. The peace lover must dwell with strife. The truth must abide with falsehood, purity with vileness. Every sin, every discord, every defiling lust that transgression had brought was torture to his spirit. Alone... He must tread the path alone, he must bear the burden. Upon him who had laid off his glory and accepted the weakness of humanity, the redemption of the world must rest. He saw and felt it all, but his purpose remained steadfast. Upon his arm depended the salvation of the fallen race and he reached out his hand to grasp the hand of omnipotent love. The Savior's glance seems to penetrate heaven as he pours out his soul in prayer. Well he knows how sin has hardened the hearts of men and how difficult it will be for them to discern his mission and accept the gift of salvation. He pleads with the Father for power to break the fetters with which Satan has enthralled them and in their behalf to conquer the destroyer. He asks for the witness that God accepts humanity in the person of his Son. Never before have the angels listened to such a prayer. They are eager to bear to their loved commander a message of assurance and comfort, but no, the Father himself will answer the petition of his Son. Direct from the throne issue the beams of his glory. The heavens are opened and upon the Saviour's head descends a dove-like form of purest light, fit emblem of him, the meek and lowly one. Of the vast throng at the Jordan, few except John discern the heavenly vision. Yet the solemnity of the divine presence rested upon the assembly. The people stood silently gazing upon Christ. His form was bathed in the light that ever enshrouds the throne of God. His upturned face was glorified, as they had never before seen the face of man. From the open heavens a voice was heard saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. These words of confirmation were given to inspire faith in those who witnessed the scene and to strengthen the Saviour for his mission. Notwithstanding that the sins of a guilty world were laid upon Christ, notwithstanding the humiliation of taking upon himself our fallen nature the voice from heaven declared him to be the Son of the Eternal. John had been deeply moved as he saw Jesus bowed as a suppliant, pleading with tears for the approval of the Father. As the glory of God encircled him and the voice from heaven was heard, John recognized the token which God had promised. He knew that it was the world's Redeemer whom he had baptized. The Holy Spirit rested upon him, and with outstretched hand, pointing to Jesus, he cried, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. None among the hearers, and not even the speaker himself, discerned the import of these words, the Lamb of God. Upon Mount Moriah, Abraham had heard the question of his son, My father... Where is the lamb for a burnt offering? The father answered, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. And in the ram divinely provided in the place of Isaac, Abraham saw a symbol of him who was to die for the sins of men. The Holy Spirit, through Isaiah, taking up the illustration, prophesied of the Savior, He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. But the people of Israel had not understood the lesson. Many of them regarded the sacrificial offerings much as the heathen looked upon their sacrifices as gifts by which they themselves might propitiate the deity. God desired to teach them that from his own love comes the gift which reconciles them to himself. And the word that was spoken to Jesus at the Jordan, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, embraces humanity. God spoke to Jesus as our representative. With all our sins and weaknesses, we are not cast aside as worthless. He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. The glory that rested upon Christ is a pledge of the love of God for us. It tells us of the power of prayer, how the human voice may reach the ear of God, and our petitions find acceptance in the courts of heaven. By sin, earth was cut off from heaven and alienated from its communion. But Jesus has connected it again with the sphere of glory. His love has encircled man and reached the highest heaven. The light which fell from the open portals upon the head of our Savior will fall upon us as we pray for help to resist temptation. The voice which spoke to Jesus says to every believing soul, This is my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. Our Redeemer has opened the way so that the most sinful, the most needy, the most oppressed and despised may find access to the Father. All may have a home in the mansions which Jesus has gone to prepare. These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth, and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. Join us next time as Nancy Hamilton Myers continues her dramatized audio book, The Desire of Ages, written by Ellen G. White. This program has been brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.